0: Well, let's let's say it together again. Thank you, Lord, for your overruling grace. And thank you, team, for giving me the credit. I don't deserve it because I did not write that song. they so gracious. They took the theme of the series we've been doing and wrote this magnificent song. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. whenever i mentioned if i do which i will right now the word prosperity what is the first thing that comes to your mind don't raise your hand just think about it tom is up i bet some of you thought of prosperity preachers right i'm not going to ask you to raise your hand I probably thought of prosperity gospel. Some of you probably thought, well, a $10 million mansion, a Rolls Royce, and a $50 million jet. Right? That's, that's how we think about it when we think prosperity. To be sure, there are some preachers who focus their entire ministry on the topic of material prosperity in this life. The problem with this modern interpretation of biblical prosperity is that it turns off a lot of people and for good reason. And yet the word prosper or prosperity is a beautiful biblical word. It is a biblical concept. Uh, There are some who… When they see someone abusing a biblical teaching for whatever reason, they tend to kind of throw the baby with the bathwater and just close their eyes on something that is absolutely beautifully biblical. That's an equal mistake and mistaken notion, at least in my judgment. Now, today I'm going to challenge you, probably like I've never done before, I'm going to challenge you to rethink. This whole concept of prosperity, I I, I, I want you to think afresh. Because money and prosperity are not evil in themselves. Can I get an amen? Amen. Money and prosperity are very important to God. Uh, And the reason I say money is important to God, it is mentioned in the Bible 2,085 times. In Psalm 37, verse 25, and Philippians 4, 19, God promised to meet and bless His faithful children. God committed Himself to do that. And if you study biblical history, you're going to discover that there are certain periods of time in which God blessed His people, and He blessed them abundantly, and gave them exceeding, made them exceedingly prosperous always for a reason, always for a reason. And here are some examples. God prospered Abraham, exceedingly prospered him, as a sign and a confirmation of the covenant with Abraham. Then God blessed and prospered his son Isaac as a proof that this covenant is continuing on for the next generation. Today we're going to see in Genesis chapter 30 uh, how Jacob exceedingly prospered. Verse 43, I hope you got Genesis 30 open, and if you haven't been here, we're right in the middle of a series of messages uh, on this incredible grace of God that sets us free. Genesis 30, 43, it makes it very clear. Every time in history, listen to me very carefully, please, every time in history, when God prosper one of His children or a group of His children, it is always for a purpose, His purpose, a higher purpose. When Israel fled from slavery of Egypt, um, God caused their former masters to look favorably upon them, and they ended up leaving with tons of gold and silver from Egypt. Under the leadership of kings David and Solomon, God prospered Israel like never before or even since. Why? Because God wanted to build that temple in order that the whole world know that He is the God of Israel, that He is their God. David alone, as a matter of fact, gave what we equivalent today over $200 million of gold for that purpose of the building of the temple. And if you look at the way God prospered this great United States of America… If you truly be uh, objective and you look at it and you see how God prospered this country like no other country in modern history, you discover that God blessed this country because it led the world in missions and in human uh, 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 help. When God prospered an individual or a group of individuals, it's almost always, I'm covering myself here, (laughs) almost always, for much higher purpose than just getting rich, fat, and happy. Hello. Because that's what some people think about prosperity, just getting rich, fat, and happy. No. I'm not sure about fat and happy go together, but that's okay. I tried it the other way. It didn't work. I'm happier now. (laughs) I hope you have turned already to Genesis chapter 30. And you have to agree, when David was reading the Bible, you have to agree that Jacob had an absolutely lousy boss. Am I right? I mean, though he was his uncle/slash father-in-law, Laban was selfish, devious, money-grabbing, deceitful, dishonest man. And you think you got a bad boss? Hello? Read the chapter when you go home, and you're going to give thanks to God for your boss. It was like that boss who was so mean, and this hardworking person who's overworked and and underpaid, asked for a raise. He said, well, if you work 24-7, you will not need an apartment. And if you don't need an apartment, you don't need rent. And if you don't need rent, you don't need a raise. That's what we call mean and mean-spirited. Jacob's uncle was determined to give him nothing, only use him. That's his intention. You can see it throughout the scripture. But don't ever forget please, please don't switch off. Just don't forget that whatever kind of a boss you may have, like Jacob, you have an ally. (laughs) Uh, Your ally is open handed. Upright, generous, and compassionate. Listen to me. Jacob's ally, who is your ally, is no other than the Lord Himself. And that's whom you work for. The secret of Jacob's prosperity, and I'm gonna prove it to you in a minute. It was that not, he did not think he was working for his uncle Laban, tricky, dicky uncle Laban. He was working for God. I will show it to you from the scripture. Regardless of who your earthly boss is, regardless of who your earthly authority is, you must realize that all the work you do, regardless of what profession you're in, you are working for God. And you know that God is the one who's watching you 24-7, and God is the one who will reward your faithfulness. And when you realize that, you have nothing to worry about. Good boss, bad boss, doesn't matter. Someone said that Jacob is like the guy who comes behind you in a revolving door, but for some strange reason always up, end up in front of you. <laughs> and that's really exactly this descri- descri- good description of Jacob. Listen to what Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 said. Work wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord and you know that the Lord will reward everyone according to their faithfulness. You received salvation by grace. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to do anything for it. It was pure grace of God through faith. But faithfulness, after you come to Christ, as Paul said again to the Ephesians, that you have been predestined unto good works. Faithfulness is required after you come to Christ. And here in Genesis chapter 30, you'll see that God is the one who prospered Jacob. You remember back in Genesis 24, a couple of messages ago? Those of you who are here, and if you weren't, download them, watch the whole thing. He only asked God for what? Can you remember? He said, If you'll protect me. And you give me enough food to eat and clothes to wear, and stopped. He didn't ask for anything else, <laughs> only the necessities of life. Instead of these mere necessities of life, God blessed Jacob out of his socks. Solomon could have asked for anything. He said, Lord, I only want wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you the others as well. Chapter 30, verse 43, Genesis. In this way, the man, Jacob, grew exceedingly prosperous. Here are several principles about prosperity God's way I want to share with you. And if you're not taking notes, I hope you have a good memory. I don't want you to ever forget those three things I want to share with you. three biblical principles about prosperity, God's way. Not that prosperity that you hear from those who have seen you know, name it, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical prosperity. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Here they are. First of all, let not prosperity be your all-consuming focus. Secondly, let hard work be your all-enduring quality. And thirdly, let your trust in God's faithful provision be your all-abiding comfort and confidence. Now, can you say say them back to me? Some of you will, I'm sure. (laughs) Look at look at the first one. Let not say that with me, let not prosperity in itself be your consuming purpose or or focus. Jacob's attitude was not, I want to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the lid. (laughs) Some of you thought I was going to say sit on the can. No, (laughs) sit on the lid. I cleaned it up a little bit. No, but he became prosperous anyway. He could become prosperous by God's design. Look at verses 25 and 26. He said to his father-in-law slash uncle, give me my wives and my children (laughs) so that I May go back home. I worked for them and that's all I'm asking for. He was not asking for anything else. For 14 long years, he worked so hard, sweating and blood, and asked for nothing. Listen, I know in modern day, 21st century, a person would have walked up to Laban, his uncle, and said, Listen here, Uncle Bozo, I made you rich. God blessed you because of me. Even the demons whom you dabble with told you so. (laughs) I could have used your trust in me and stole you blind, but I didn't. And man, he could have expanded on his his virtues. But Jacob never, never coveted Laban's wealth. I can tell you, as God is my witness, I had known wonderful, wealthy people around the world, great wealth. I can tell you, as God, my witness, in all these years in ministry, I have never once coveted somebody's possessions, not once. But Jacob, like his grandfather Abraham, when kings of, the king of Solomon uh, of, of Sodom, excuse me, the king of Sodom and all the other kings of those um, uh, little places there. They were taken hostage, and material possession was taken from them. But Abraham, old as he was, turned into a rainbow, and he got only a handful of guys. They went in there, whacked them off, and they liberated the people. The king of Sodom was so overwhelmed, they brought wealth, and they brought cattle, and they brought gold and silver, and they want to give it to Abraham, and Abraham said, not on your life. Why? I don't want to ever, anyone says, I made Abraham rich. That privilege is going to be given to God alone. Amen? Let's face it. <laughs> let's face it. I'm, let's, let's, let's be clear with each other here. Had Jacob done something to feather his own nest, <laughs> none of us would have blamed him, Right? I mean, after all, he's got a large family to feed, right? No. He wanted to be faithful in the trust that was placed upon him because he believed with all his heart that he is working for the Lord. Where do you think his son Joseph learned this faithfulness? and making distinction between what belongs to him and what belongs to the Lord. His youngest favorite son, Joseph, gets into Egypt, and Miss Potiphar was wanted to uh, deceive her husband and, and commit adultery, and he said, absolutely not, you belong to your husband. He learned faithfulness from his father, Jacob. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Jacob had lots of faults, but not Unfaithfulness. So, that was Jacob's first priority. He's going to rest upon the Lord. So, don't make prosperity to be your overriding focus. Remember what Jacob said to God in Bethel? Do you remember a couple of messages ago when he saw this incredible vision of the ladder going up? and down from heaven, and angels coming up and down. And he saw, as I told you, none, nothing less than the pre-incarnate Christ. God gave him a vision of, of what to come thousands of years later, the pre-incarnate Christ. You remember what Jacob said to him? And this, by the way, I remind you again, 400 years before the law, he said to him, whatever you place in my hand, I'll return 10%. Jacob trusted that God is the one who is going to bless him, not his uncle Laban. Jacob consciously devoted himself to God. Jacob believed that he was serving God by serving Laban. And don't you ever forget that you are serving God in whatever company, whatever work you're doing. You're serving God first. And as I said, no one can ever deny the fact that this uncle was mean, tight-fisted, cheat, manipulative. And he's a control freak, greedy, and godless on top of it all. And if Jacob was a modern-day person, <laughs> sometimes I let my imaginations soar. If he's a modern-day person, he would have rationalized gouging his uncle. He would have rationalized it. But all he asked for was his wives and children. That's all he asked for. He didn't ask for anything else. He didn't ask for a reward, but God gave him a mighty one. Here's something I don't want you to miss. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Please don't miss this. By not making his own prosperity to be his all-consuming focus and refusing to enrich himself, Only enrich his boss, Jacob prospered. Isn't that amazing? Let me say a word to some of the employers who may be watching around the world. The employers I know in this church are most wonderful employers, I think, the ones I know anyway, the ones I, in case there's somebody here I don't know, but I doubt it. Always reward hard work. This is kind of an aside. It's not part of my sermon. (laughs) This is a freebie on the house always reward diligence, always reward faithful service. As I said, I know the employers here in this place, they do exactly that because they know when their employees prosper, they prosper. Very early in life in bringing up our children, many times in our family devotion time, I would say something to them like this, do more than what is required of you, and one way or the other, you will be blessed. You will be rewarded. Even if your boss is insensitive and blind, God is not. When you don't let your own prosperity be an all-consuming focus, sooner or later, God will prosper and reward your faithfulness. Can I get an amen? amen. Secondly… Let hard work be your all-enduring quality. If anyone has an, had an excuse for not working hard, goofing off, and taking it easy, it would be Jacob, right? He could have said to himself, he said, man, I'm only going to work for what they pay me. Uh, after all, uh, Laban... Owes me big time. Laban cheated me. Instead of working for seven years for Rachel, look what he did to me. He got me working 14 years. I'm going to goof off. I will pay him back. <laughs> he could have said, now, whether Laban prospers or not, that doesn't matter. There's no skin on my nose. He could have said, um, well, God promised to take care of me. He told me that in Bethel. He's going to take care of me, so I'm just going to sit back on my blessed assurance and do nothing and let God do it all. Have you known people like that? No. No, sir, not Jacob. Listen carefully. With all of his faults, and we've seen some, we're going to see some more. (laughs) But with all of his faults, Jacob was a faithful man. When it comes to faithfulness, he worked his heart out for 14 solid years. And so he tells Laban, look with me at verse 26, "'For you know how hard I worked for you.'" Laban, who was idol worshiper, Laban, who was dabbling in the occult, and you can see later on, we will see how uh, even his daughter, uh, Rachel, stole the idols and and, and, and he had these idols in his house. Laban was a pagan in every way. Even he acknowledged that he was blessed because of Jacob's faithfulness. Verse 27, even the demons told Laban that God prospered him because of Jacob. Here's an important lesson. When you are a faithful worker, when you are a diligent worker, when you are a hard worker, even the pagans are going to testify to that. What do you think salt and light supposed to be? It's not only for what you say, but how you live. I had three older brothers. Sadly for me, they all went to be with the Lord. Wonderful men who loved God, and all three of them had national reputation. Some members in this church have met some of my brothers when they visited through the years. I mean, they were renowned nationally for their abilities, banking and the economy, and and they occupied very important national position. They had national reputation. One of those brothers who was as brilliant a mathematician As they come. He had an impeccable reputation as a a great economist. He literally was involved in putting together the national budget. He was renowned for hard work in a culture that was rife with corruption and bribery. He was known as Mr. Clean. He often brought work home. And uh, not to be paid over time. He just brought work home. Most nights, he brought work home with him. And he would be working on his desk on this extra time of putting himself, uh, uh, time he's putting in himself, and I would have a mathematical problem. So I go to him. For some reason only known to the Lord, I missed out on all of those genes. I don't know why, I guess God figured out if I was a successful banker I would not be preaching today, (laughs) but I I often tell people maybe because I came sort of very late in the bottom of the barrel, you know, all those mathematical genes are being used. (laughs) And I I didn't get any. But in all seriousness, when I go to this particular brother and I ask him to help me, and he's always gracious, always generous. and puts his work down and starts to help me. And the first thing he would say to me, where's your pencil? As a teenager, I mean, I'm in like most teenagers, and and I thought, is he blind? I mean, he's got a pencil in his hand. I said, you just put your pencil down, use your pencil. He said, you don't understand. This is the government pencil. I'm not going to use it for personal use. I'm telling you this, it's the absolute truth, and I, I told this widow recently, reminded her when we were there of this story, and, and she knew it. <laughs> but I just want to give you a, 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 a picture of what this man was like. This was in the 60s, early 60s. Fast forward to the 80s. We're living in Atlanta, Georgia. I get a phone call from a prominent Christian leader, church leader, head of a denomination. And he said to me, there is this person, and he mentioned his name, and I said, oh, my goodness. He said, you know, he's one of the highest-ranking leaders in the country. Is coming through Atlanta. Would you host him? I said, sure, we'll do that, and we did. He was here for two days, and I knew this man persecuted my brother because of my brother's faithfulness. And he refused to cook the books. <laughs> and he got all of these cabinet ministers and government officials to count for every red cent. And they did not like it. And they gave him grief. And so here's the temptation for me should I tell him that this is my brother? <laughs> and I fought the thought several, <laughs> so the last two days. And I, should I tell him that this is my brother? Should I not? Should I tell him? Should I not? And finally, as I'm driving to the airport, <laughs> I thought I'll put him on a plane and he can't hit me. I did mention it. I said, you know, so and so is my brother. He nearly came out of his seat. He literally the seat belt kind of came out. And then he was quiet for a minute. He said, He drove me nuts. He drove everyone in the cabinet nuts. And then he got quiet again, and he said, but I can tell you, with all the men I deal with, he's the only one I trust with my life. He's the only one I could trust with my life. This man has a huge, huge entourage, But he couldn't trust the ones that he knew he can manipulate or crooked and corrupt, but he trusted that Christian man who built his reputation on integrity, hard work, and honesty. Let not prosperity be your all-consuming focus. Let hard work and faithfulness be your all-enduring quality. Thirdly, let your trust in God's promises be your all-abiding comfort and confidence. Jacob trusted the Lord for his prosperity. Back then, they did not have social security, 401K, profit sharing, stock options, none of that. But Jacob had something superior to all of that. Jacob had the Lord. And let me tell you about the God of Jacob. Let me tell you about the God of our Father, of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the character of our God. He does not repay us uh, for our faithfulness with inflated dollars. Did you get that? He does not allow the money pool to dry up. God does not bless His faithful children based on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. He does not bless His faithful children based on the S.P. 500. He does not bless His faithful children based on the stock market. He does not bless His faithful children based on the state of the economy. No, sir, that's not our God. Our God has His own criterion for prospering us. Amen. Amen. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Laban said to Jacob, he's a Yusuf translation, don't leave me. Name your price. What are your wages? And Jacob said, I don't want anything that I did not work for, only my wives and children. But Laban insisted, no, 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 name your price, name your price. I want to. So Jacob said, I'll keep the spotted and striped animals. I'm going to summarize it for you because I'm sure some of your eyes kind of go sideways when you heard about the peeled branches and all that stuff. And I'm going to summarize it, make it easy for you, okay? Laban had all the solid color animals, Jacob took the spotted and the striped animals. I want you to watch for this. Watch for this because you miss it if you're not watching, okay? Everybody knows that the solid colors are the majority of the animals. That's a fact. The rare ones are the spotted or the striped. Then Jacob continued, But after I work with these animals that I'll keep, I will keep all the spotted and the striped ones, and you keep the solid ones. I am convinced, if you read it carefully, Laban must have thought of this proposal for no more than a second, possibly two seconds. And he put his hand on there and said, deal, buddy. <laughs> I'm sure in his mind, he was saying, you know, I know this guy is my son-in-law, and he's my, my, my sister's son, but he's got to be as dumb as a doornail. Everybody knows that the solid color animals do not produce spotted or striped offsprings. Everybody knows that. Ah, but Laban did not know God's prosperity program for his faithful children. So they separated the two sets by about 15 miles. What was Jacob doing? He was placing himself at a disadvantaged position. He placed himself in disadvantage. That's what really he was doing. It almost reminded me of Elijah when the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves. Baal, hear us, Baal, nothing happened. And he comes up there, he said, you know, boys, go and get some water. Pour it on the wood. <laughs> I want to prove that my God can lick the water and the wood. <laughs> and the fire did. So he put himself in a disadvantaged position. Now, you don't have to be a genetic expert to know that the solid animals don't produce spotted or striped. But what happened next? Listen to me, raises the hackles of a lot of Western theologians. They really do. And if you read any of the comments, you say, "Well, you know, is it Jacob superstitious, or what is happening? How is this happening, and why is this, and why is that?" Was the other thing? I'm going to give you something. From Yusuf, that is from me, you can take it or leave it. You can throw it out or keep it, but it is my personal conviction, and I'm going to prove it to you scripturally. Some people said, um, saw what Jacob did by peeling the, the branches and make them all stripes or colors and a superstition. Again, another one, another freebie on the house. To this day, (laughs) to this day, some highly educated people in the Middle East believe this that if a pregnant woman looks at a beautiful baby, she's going to have a beautiful baby. I'm just letting you take this, throw it out as you leave. But this peeling of the branches to produce spotted and striped offspring. I personally believe, wasn't Jacob's idea. Now, the Bible does not affirm it, yes or no. The Bible does not commit. It just said he believed it. Jacob believed it. And there's another way. God could have commanded Jacob to do it that way and to see if Jacob going to obey God or not. I'm going to tell you another incident in the Scripture to prove what I'm saying. Jacob could have said, now I, Jacob, I've been around animal husbandry for a long time, uh, and things don't work that way. This doesn't make sense. But I'll do it in obedience. Some 400 years later, Moses in the wilderness, the Israelites were bitten by deadly snakes and were dying, one after the other. God said to Moses, go and make a bronze snake and lift it up high, and every bitten, dying person looks at that bronze snake, will be healed and will live Imagine somebody's hearing Moses giving this command and say, well, this is crazy. Whoever said looking at the bronze snake can heal you? And they didn't do it, and they died. (laughs) Others probably said, well, I don't know, but God said it. I'll do it. They looked up, and they got healed. Question. Were those who were healed were healed because of something magical in that bronze snake? God bless you. They were healed by their obedience. Beloved, obedience heals. Obedience blesses. Obedience answers prayer. In fact, the next chapter we're going to see, Jacob had a dream about this pickled and s- spotted animals. Was it Jacob's superstition? I don't believe so, personally. But don't ever forget, That he did not have a Bible. This is where a lot of theologians and preachers make a mistake. They put Jacob in our time when we have five, six different translations of the Bible in our houses, where we have so many Bible studies and home groups, where we have a church on every corner. This man only heard God once in Bethel. And so put him in context of his time. What he did, he did in obedience. Question. Was the power to produce genetically altered offspring in the peeled branches? God bless you. The power was in Jacob's obedience. Because he was in God's supernatural program for prosperity. And therefore, God prospers his faithful, obedient children. Because Jacob trusted in God's provision, and God provided in the most unusual way. And there may be someone here today, or somebody's watching me around the world, who is living in blatant disobedience and saying to themselves, why God is not blessing me? Why is God not doing this? Why God is not answering my prayer? Beloved, listen to me. God feeds the birds of the air, and He closes the flowers of the field. How much more valuable are His faithful children? Jesus said, when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that is obedience and faithfulness, then all of whatever it is you need is going to be given to you in abundance. Beloved, God's grace saves you from sin, God's grace redeems you from the judgment. God's grace convicts us and leads us to repentance. God's grace overwhelms our past scars, as we saw a few weeks ago. God's grace supplies all of your needs. It is the same grace that God can use to bless His obedient children. Same grace. And He longs to do that. He longs to do that. but only when you don't make prosperity to be your all-consuming focus, when you let hard work be your all-enduring quality, and when you trust in God's provision, become your all-abiding comfort and confidence. My dear, beloved friends, if I've learned anything in 52 years of walking with the Lord, is that he's always on time. Always on time. He is never a minute early or a minute late. Oh, there are many times I want him early. But that would have been a terrible mistake as I look back. He's always on time. He's always on time. Even if it takes, like in the case of Jacob, 20 years from the time he made the promise in Bethel to the time it happened. 20 years. God is faithful, and he will keep his promises. God will always keep his promises. Let us say it again together. Thank God for his overruling grace. question is, are you willing to wait or are you ready to give up? It is the cry of my heart that everybody at the sound of my voice will say, God, I trust you. I'm going to anchor my hope in your promises. And I want to be obedient and faithful in every way. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me, please? where every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you have been spoken to by the Holy Spirit, and you say, God, I do want to trust you with all my heart. I want to make you to be the focus. I want to be faithful and obedient. Would you raise your hand up in the air so I can pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray with you, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus... I thank you for these faithful children. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who authored those words and then bring them to life. Nearly 3,000 years later, I praise you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your faithfulness to me and the faithfulness to so many members of this church. I thank you for your faithfulness to this body of believers and even to this point where we are today. It is your faithfulness that we praise and adore and worship, not prosperity, because you prosper your faithful ones. And so we thank you in advance for what you're going to do, in answer to the prayers of all those hands that were raised. Lord, I can't wait to see how those prayers are going to be answered in abundance. And I receive the answer from you by faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Give God praise.